Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, everybody? Jensen Cummings here. Thank you for tuning in on this 101st episode of Best Served Live. An honor, true honor, to have Robert Egger on the show, who is a leader in the community kitchen movement over 30 years. Robert, thank you for taking some time. Oh, right on, dude. It's a big honor, man. 101. That's the way to... I'm, I'm really honored to be here. This this has gone fast. Uh, we're going to talk about 31-year legacy of community kitchens and your history. This has been going since March 18th. We've been hustling seven days a week. I know we're going to touch on that because I know how important that is to you. Let's start. Let's give people kind of your definition. When I say community kitchen, what does that mean to you? Well, you know, it was originally a, a, a kind of a counter to this idea of a soup kitchen, which, dude, I, I've been lucky. I've traveled around the world and I've never seen a soup kitchen. No matter where I go, I saw the community coming together to try and feed their neighbors, you know, with a, a really decent meal. It wasn't like, oh, what can we throw together to make a meal? It was like people really trying. So I thought, you know, that that word really spoke to the spirit behind what people were doing in all these kitchens, let alone mine. Losing there for a second? Just a second. Just a second. All right. Got you back. So you're on a roll. I'm sorry to break up the roll. The robots, you know how it goes. Uh, keep going. Community kitchen. So it was counter to like what had been out there before for you uh, seven days a week. Touch on that. Why is it abnormal to have a kitchen, community kitchen that's seven days a week? It should be the routine. I mean, you know, again, man, it's the oldest saying in the world. Hunger doesn't take a holiday. And so I, I always got frustrated. In fact, everything that I did when I set up the DC kitchen 31 years ago, Literally, literally, I said, man, whatever charities do, I'm going to do the fucking opposite. Yes. You know, um, you know they're open five Monday through Friday. Fuck that. Seven days a week. You know, they don't make money. I'm going to make money and create jobs. You know, um, their model. And again, I, I hate to say they like it's some, you know, bad group of people. They were just trying. They were just locked in their system. But the model I encountered, I was a volunteer um, and I went out to serve the poor the way virtually everybody does, which is I stand on one side of the table and serve somebody on the other side. And my mom was like, man, fuck the table. Let's bring everybody around on the same side. So over the years, man, we had the Clintons, the Obamas. And again, the power of food is the president of the United States standing next to a kid in high school who's got to get service hours or an older person who wants to stay active or somebody who, who is out of prison or somebody in the homeless shelter. That idea of the only way we're going to solve some of these really profound issues is side by side. So the kitchens I started, and I think the benchmark of a community kitchen is that idea side by side. I love that. That's a really great kind of foundational. So that's what we're talking about, people. But I want to take it back. We're all about the human stories, which are clearly important. I want to know a little bit of your origin. Take us all the way back and, and why you ended up being so compelled to be of service, but more importantly, to feed people. The, the food, where did that come from within you? Well, you know, dude, it's kind of an, an accident because um, like many people's careers, pretty young people, you know, it's like I studied this, but then I ended up doing that. Um, I wanted to open a nightclub, uh, you know, as a young man. And this was a very, uh, a June, the beginning of June is always kind of uh, a big moment for me. I was back in 1968, I was nine, about to turn 10. 
And Dr. King had been murdered two months earlier when my pop woke me up and said, Bobby Kennedy's been shot. And those two murders, I still think as fucked up as things are now, man, 68 with the murder of those two young men that close together. So anyway, I became inspired by, interesting enough, music, theater, art, dance, and comedy. Because what I saw as a young man is that not unlike today, many people, and frankly, white people, don't want to talk about race or prison or any of these issues. And sometimes they have to be tricked, lured, hoodwinked into this dialogue. And music, comedy can sometimes pull people over. I don't know if you saw the Chappelle special that came out last night, but Dave Chappelle and John Stewart or the Smothers Brothers back in my parents' day helped people overcome their prejudices, their bigotries with humor, with music. So I wanted to open a nightclub and I went into the hospitality industry right out of high school because I wanted to learn that business, right? Now, fast forward, a couple of years later, I was out on the streets of DC uh, volunteering to serve people. And we ended up serving food that was purchased. Now I said to myself, hey man, I work in an industry that throws away tons of food every night. You know, this was before the prepared food movement really got going, but it was like, we're awash in leftover food at two o'clock at night with all the caterers who are closed. And they they don't want to throw it away, but it's been paid for and they don't want to take it back to their kitchen. If somebody could go get that dude, you could feed more people better food for less money. But, you know, the night I went out, we were serving people out in the rain. And I thought there was a real injustice, even though this was based in charity and well intentions, people were outside in the rain. So I said, look, restaurants also have jobs. Why don't you bring that food to a central kitchen? You can uh, not only feed more people better food for less money, but you can create a cooking school. And you can offer people who are homeless, people who are coming out of prison, people or whatever their background. You could offer them a chance to be part of the solution versus perpetual recipients of charity. And so you could shorten the line by the very way you served it. Now, dude, I was I was pretty fucking jazzed. I thought I was yeah. the of the year, you know. But what I found is I went to all the different charities at saying, hey, here's an idea. And they all shot it down. Every single group shot it down. And, you know, years Why? Ago, Why do you think that was? Well, I got this little heart here on my finger years ago. So when I do this now, it's like, dude, you know, because I spent years being pissed off. But yeah. the reality is people are oftentimes afraid of new routine. They're, they're, they get comfortable. It's routine. You ask why the five day a week pantry, because people become, it becomes routine and routine, young brother, not to sound like an old dude, but routine is the enemy. It robs youth of, it robs you of the, of the idea that you can continue with that sense, that sense of fervor and ambition and, and fuck it, we can do it. That benchmark of youth, you know, sometimes when you get into the routine, it's like, oh, well, I'd like to go out and protest today, but hey man, I got to fucking work in the morning. You know, that's so that idea of fighting routine as often as you can, because I never wanted to become when I set out in this journey because no one else would, I never wanted to become the beast I set out to slay. You know, I I wanted to be a living, walking, breathing, functioning example of both a leader and an organization that was never going to get stuck in the trap of routine. So then you're going to these charities and they're all turning you down flat. You know, it's an absolute no. So you said this, you know what they told me? Their their big reason. Yeah. Um, Restaurants won't hire people who've been addicts. It's like (laughs) it's like, uh, you know, dude, who? Do you think, I mean, restaurant kitchens are the island of misfit toys. They uh, always have, been, you know, so anyway, but that's how bad it got. People were, were really 
grabbing at such straws to say no. And the last one being restaurants won't do this. And another one, just in case your audience is interested, because it still remains a pernicious urban myth is that I'd love to donate food to you, Robert, but rest, you know, the idea of restaurants can't donate food because health code won't allow it. Mm -hmm. There's never, ever, anywhere, ever been a health code rule that, that prohibits donation of food. In fact, the opposite is true. Um, and in 1996, in one of probably the coolest moments of my gig, not only did I help um, develop the, what would be known as the Bill Emerson Act or the Good Food Owner and Donee Act of 1996, Man, I got to go to the Rose Garden and watch it sign into law, which is the first kind of hold harmless law for donating food um, that now protects anybody who donates food unless it's a case of gross negligence or malicious intent. Sure. Understood. You then had to start it yourself. Like you went to these organizations, you tried to show them that this model could potentially work. They didn't understand okay. it. They didn't want it. They didn't get what happens on the other side of the equation with restaurants. You said, fuck it. I'm going to do it myself. Talk about those early days. How did you actually start, you know, DC Kitchen? Like, how did that come about? Well, you know, A, it's important to acknowledge. I mean, you know, I, I'm a white dude in America. So I, I had the ultimate confidence. It's like, I can fucking do it. No one's I didn't even enter my mind. And in fact, the first donor of food was the presidential inaugurations of George Bush Sr. And again, talk about a white dude's confidence. I just called up. I just called up and said, I'm going to launch this organization. I've got a refrigerated truck. Would you like to be the first donor? Now, of course, Media 101, and again, I ran nightclubs. That's Media 101. What media outlet could resist inaugural food going to the poor the next day? Yeah. So, on it, but but it it kind of burned into our culture the idea that we could launch our one organization, the DC Central Kitchen, but we could use our platform and our proximity to people like the president and the media we could use that platform to help the larger movement grow. And that began a very much of a, this kind of 49-51 culture of 49% of my time was gonna be DC Kitchen and this particular organization, but 51 would be to this larger movement. You know, How do we get more food donated? How do we get more jobs opened up? How do we challenge stereotypes about hunger, homelessness, elders, that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, you know, I, it was just me and a truck driving around, dude. And then I, and then me and my wife and friends started renovating a kitchen. And interesting enough, no one had ever trained the homeless for food service jobs ever that I knew of. Wow. And dude, I'm not going to be prideful or be like, I did it. It just, oh, yeah. I don't know of anybody else, but I had to develop a curriculum because I went out to the American Culinary Federation and a variety of other kind of accredited groups saying, dude, throw me a bone here. I'm trying to create something that is a modest amount of time, 12 weeks. I'm just trying to teach Basic food sanitation, show up on time, work as a team, don't cut off your fingers. What any any restaurant wants, right? Simple. That's it. Most restaurants, it's like, just give me somebody who show up on time. I'll take it from there. Yeah. But that's all we were trying to do. Can you give me something that would allow me to give the graduates a certificate of something? And everybody was like, no, dude, 12 weeks, you can't. You know, they were into this culinary chef, French cuisine, you know, but a bunch of volunteers showed up from the hospitality school at Cornell University. And I'll always sing the praises of Cornell University's hospitality program because those students went back and as a group project in the class of 1991, they built a curriculum for us. And I in turn gave that away to everybody who came a calling to, to kind of birth this, this movement of saying, just picking up food here and dropping it off. It's cool. It's not bad. But... But if you make anybody 
kind of um, relying upon you for food. Even if there's love in your heart, that's still bondage, dude. You know, you can't just say, come back tomorrow and I'll meet you here and give you more free food. To me, as, as baked in as that in is in our movement between pantries and food banks, whatever, it built in as a power dynamic that I just wasn't comfortable with. So the idea was always, you know, let's use food to liberate people. Now, of course, that can be liberate from hunger. It can be liberate from unemployment. But as we started to bring in more volunteers, including, including presidents, the idea of liberating volunteers from their stereotypical or often bigoted ideas about who's hungry in America and why. If we could do that, not in a pedantic way, but that's what birthed the community kitchen and this side by side, because I came up with this term we lovingly call the calculated epiphany, which is saying, if I come out and say, man, when you volunteer today, guess what, dude, your, your mind's going to change. Most people are like, fuck that. I don't want to hear, you know, I'm just going to put up this wall, right? Right. So we decided to, to kind of invest in this Trojan horse model and just set the stage knowing what we learned is if you just shut the fuck up and let people go out and work together, they'd start having conversations and they'd start to smell the food they created together and they'd become more excited about what they did working side by side with somebody who might look, pray or have a very different history than them. And that was what we decided was our main driver. It wasn't the meals we put out. It was almost satiating that deeper hunger we all have to be part of something bigger. That's absolutely it. It's always the human stories. The food is just the connective tissue for that. It creates the opportunity. I, I love it. Take us those early days. I'm sure lots of uh, trials and tribulations and a few triumphs, I'm sure. Give us a, a triumph moment where you're like somebody who just nobody thought had a chance to make it in this world and through the program, give us a little bit of a, a case study, somebody that you remember that's like, that is the, the model that we can, that kept you going for over 30 years now. Like, who is that? Who's somebody that? Oh, dude, that, there's that, so that, many. That. It's funny, man. Um, today is the birthday of a great friend, Gerald Thomas, who was one of our training instructors who went through the program. And after about five or six years out in the broader world and some culinary stuff, he came back. But I mean, dude, the, the world's full of him. And get this, Mike Curtin, who's the current CEO, he was a, a guy who's uh, a restaurant went bankrupt. And what was a moment of like, you know, head down. I'm a fuck up. Everyone's laughing at me. It was it, I, I sought him out because it's like, dude, you're I want you to help run and, and eventually take over the D.C. kitchen. Because, in you know, I recognize in you the same story of the power of food and the, the role the kitchen can play in somebody rising back up. So from the CEO down to the dishwasher. The DC kitchen, and again, all the kitchens I've run have been working, breathing examples of everybody has a role to play. Nobody's too fucked up. They can't climb back up and help somebody up along the way. That's too true. I mean, the industry of hospitality is, is built on that. We are all Island of Misfit Toys, Band of Rebels, Pirates on the Pirate Ship. So I think we gravitate towards that. And, uh, you know, for better or worse. What's joyfully been revealed yeah. It's too the backbone of the economy. I mean, America wants to think of itself as an industrial economy. Dude, we're a service economy. And I think COVID yeah. revealed the role that restaurants play. I mean, dude, not only are we one of the major employers and the major drivers of economy and the major source of, of tourism, but it's the culture of the town. And oftentimes, think about the role food has played in helping America go back from kind of the standard American white diet to this diversified, I mean, restaurants introduce people to every culture in the world's food 
And, and hence that doorway of, dude, you know, we all have grandmothers and, and recipes. We all have, uh, you know, smells of our youth that reawaken us, you know. So, again, I'd like to think that not only has COVID revealed the role we play, but also maybe the way we might evolve post-COVID. Let's get into that. M- move us forward. Now, you know, it's funny. Now the, the name World Central Kitchen makes a lot more sense to me. Kind of being born from collaboration and looking back at DC Central Kitchen and the the roadmap that you created. So let's talk about the work that specifically, you know, you as a board member, World Central Kitchen. I think you know Jose Andres obviously has made himself a lightning rod to really galvanize and rally people right. in an amazing way and connected the dots between straight restaurant people, community kitchens, and the broader community. And so. Give us that right now. What's happening? Why was it important for you to be a part of it? Give us some of the the backstory of World Central Kitchen starting and then move us forward into the work that's actually happening today. Totally. Well, you know, um, volunteer chefs who come and help teach and ergo have that calculated epiphany themselves, then become employers. So since the very beginning, volunteer chefs were a big part of the model, right? Jose was a volunteer chef. He came to D.C. to open um, uh, uh, Haleo, which was the first tapas restaurant. DC and, and the board, his his uh, boss at the time, but our board chair, Rob Wilder, called and said, dude, I got this young Spanish chef. Can you come in and volunteer? And I'm a yes man. It's like, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jose walked in and he just never left. I mean, he and I were like peas and carrots. Yeah. And he really dug um, this motto we had, which was charity is too often about the redemption of the giver when it really should be about the, re- the, the liberation of the receiver. No, and again, it, it isn't an either or. I mean, dude, I'm a sinner. I sin constantly. I, I don't mind. I need redemption, just not at the expense of another human. But Jose dug that. And it kind of blew his mind a little bit, the, the way we were using food. So he eventually became the board chair. I mean, we, we did this dance for decades together. And then one day he shows up, and your listeners, listeners will probably appreciate this. You know, he shows up in my little mock closet office, knocks on the door. He's like, Robert, uh, I have a new idea. And I want you to be part of it from the very beginning. It's like, dude, sure. What are we going to do? And he's like, World Central Kitchen. And I'm like, oh, I got DC. You can have the, you have the rest of the world. That's that's Jose, very much in a nutshell. But dude, yeah. the man never stops. I mean, he has he has at every turn. I don't know how many times I've said I've laughed literally, dude. That's that's fucking ridiculous. And he yeah. does. At this dude, at this stage, I'm like, whatever the fuck, dude. I'm on board 100. percent You know. But anyway, um. I actually, we, we launched uh, uh, the World Central Kitchen. I left DC Kitchen and went to open the LA Kitchen, which was, uh, I kind of went back to the community where I was raised. And I really wanted to be part of a generation that redefined how do we feed our elders. And for your listeners who were interested, A, every day in the morning, 10,000 people turn 70. There's no stop. And, and this is, unpro- we're completely, wildly unprepared for this. And you may know that COVID has been decimating nursing homes. It's elders yes. and communities of color that are frankly dying because of chronic diet-related illnesses, diabetes, hypertension, obesity. These are the things that COVID seeks. So the role food and charitable food or all food plays should be a big part of our, our kind of our, our sector's rebirth. But anyway, I went out there and, and I kind of fell on my sword. LA Kitchen worked well for about six years, but I had to eventually throw in the towel because the model was built on, I was going to partner with the Department of Aging to be part of and get a contract, which would be part of this earned income, which would allow me to build a big kitchen that could produce 10, 15,000 meals a day, a la World Central Kitchen. But I just ran into kind of 
obstinance about senior meals, four compartment trays, food can't touch, six week cycle menu, just the, the lethargy of thinking that I've, I've challenged all my career, but I just, I do, they just fucking killed me anyway. So uh, I'm chilling right out here and world central kitchen doing all this stuff, every board meeting. And it, for those of your audience, we originally started doing training programs. You know, we had a kitchen in Haiti. Um, we were doing social enterprise programs. We had a kitchen in Zambia, but they were basically clean cook stoves, culinary training programs and social enterprises. It wasn't until uh, Houston, but then Puerto Rico and then Haiti that Jose really clicked into this, the model we see now. But it's built around this idea of instead of the traditional model in which you lovingly bring food in from America or wherever you're you know, going. I mean, Puerto Rico is America, but you, know, you bring food in. But that oftentimes, if you think about it, pushes down the local economy because nobody's buying local food. So our model was, look, let's reimagine disaster. Let's use anytime we go in, let's buy local, let's hire local, let's let's build restaurants back up. So we're, we're not only meeting the need with food, but we're helping the local economy heal. Again, the power of food revealed at every turn. So I called Jose from New Mexico, where I live now, saying, dude, there's a community college here and the culinary program um, is in hiatus. Why don't we do a partnership? We'll bring the students back in. They'll get credit hours while they're learning. You know, the, the, the season's coming so we can access a lot of New Mexico's own produce and products. We can get a lot of volunteer chefs because they're not working with COVID. And so um, we've been for the past few weeks here, but also uh, World Central Kitchen's been over on the Navajo Nation doing thousands of meal boxes Great. every week. Yeah, I saw that. So, and of course, you probably know Jose, a lot of what we've been doing also, he's raised the better part of $100 million and has been investing that in opening restaurants across America to similarly hire people back and produce meals for the community. So this phase of World Central Kitchen is probably gonna start to kind of ramp back down a little bit because, you know, dude, this isn't cheap. Um, we will have produced about 50,000 meals here in Santa Fe by the end of the month. And that's where we'll probably um, start to slow down a little bit and focus primarily on the Pueblos here in Northern New Mexico that are still gonna be closed for another uh, month likely because of COVID and focus nutrition there. Makes a lot of sense. So a couple things. First, I want to touch on, I'm glad that you mentioned the challenge that kind of the original model of like going out into the communities and bringing in food because Puerto Rico came up a, a few different chefs and operators. Juan Padro comes to mind, said, you know, at first there was a little bit of friction with Puerto Ricans because they're like, we have a lot of talented chefs too. They could be cooking the food, but we flew in a bunch of chefs and then saw that there was a, a reflection of that from World Central Kitchen, from Jose, from you, your team, and said, how do we actually really integrate feet on the streets? Right. And, and then I've seen a lot of Puerto Rican chefs then really jump on board. So I like that there was an understanding of kind of just coming in heavy handed. So I appreciate that. I'm also thinking then now about these last couple of minutes, how can our audience, 70% are, are in the industry, embedded in the industry, how can they support this mission? What can they do to support World Central Kitchen, to start their own community kitchen? Where should they be looking? Where should our attention be at this time? Where should our action be right now? Well, one of the things that I think both Jose and I embrace is leaders don't create more, more followers. They create other leaders. Recognize that everything, that, that this model, this community kitchen model that is now arc 30 plus years is built on existing resources. What's already there 
just add some audacity, some ingenuity, some entrepreneurial spirit, which is, again, the lifeblood of our hospitality industry. But again, dude, the food we've used was there. The kitchens were there. You know, I'm using a, a community college kitchen and get, dig this. Now they're looking at the whole curriculum. Instead of going to the fine dining curriculum, they're saying, can we add in a whole disaster training curriculum for a new generation of chefs? So they'll be armed and ready to serve their community. So that idea of what's already in your community, but I urge you people in your audience, man, um, your head a little tilted, that view is skewed. How do you see your community? You know, you see this, it's like, oh, it's a college. You see this way, it's like, there's a kitchen in that college. You know what I mean? It's all yes. there, dude. Just add that audacity that is the benchmark of hospitality in America. I fucking love it. That's exactly what it is. We need to, we need to not just take the chef, the restaurants, tour the the worker in the restaurant and say you're going to go be a part of this community kitchen we're going to say you already are a part of this community this kitchen is just an extension of your crazy ass pirate mentality let's just dig in and make it happen and i really appreciate that it's one of the most compelling things the reason that i've been on every single day is because i get messages all the time where people are saying i can't get on employment can you help me and absolutely we got somebody on from the colorado department of labor and employment like let me hustle for you and then the next day they say where can i go volunteer my time i was like you're fucking you're breaking my heart and you are inspiring me to the nth degree at the same time because right. they're so quick to turn to be of service it's unbelievable i think Here's we what I need to create the opportunity for them to say look this is me the community kitchen is not a soup kitchen it's not you on the other side of the table. It's we're in this together on the same side of the table. Let's I fucking like make that. it happen. I, I, I truly appreciate that. Any parting yeah, thoughts for us? Give yeah, us a couple little, a little totally. more of inspiration. Help, help your local businesses. I mean, help charities evolve away from the idea of I'm, I'm just going to redistribute whatever junk food I can get my hands on. This is hard to say, brother, but the charitable food sector has a role. I mean, has some culpability. They've been pushing junk food on the poor. For decades, we can no longer poison the, full, the poor in the name of feeding the poor. But we also need to help charities potentially start their own businesses. You know, so we should really look at the local food system, men and women who are coming out of addiction or, or at home from service, a thousand other things. How can they be part of a larger food economy, not a food system? And one last thing, man, break apart the word agriculture and recognize agriculture is the power. What's the culture around food, not just what's the source of it? Oh man, can we just have you on every day? Like we could go all day long. This is exactly what we need. I think making community kitchen cool is something that you've done really well. And I think it seems like it's frivolous, but absolutely like, I'm like, make it cool shit. Like, dude, you're a media guy. You understand brand, you understand messaging, and you've been able to deploy that. And I think it's super important. Sometimes on the flip side, the audacity of, of charity and nonprofit is like, I'm saving the world. You should just give me things versus yeah. like, you're saying, this is who you are. Go cook and feed people because that's what you're meant to do. That's what you're doing in a, on a daily basis yeah, and make it the smart yeah. move and the cool move. I love it. Right on. Dude, it's been a pleasure to hang with you, bro. Anytime. Great. This is so great. Robert, I really appreciate it. I mean, man, keep doing what you're doing. Keep connected with us. Let us know how we can be of service for sure. And as more and more initiatives come out, as you mentioned, we're kind of phasing into different parts of your efforts, World Central Kitchen. And let us know, and, and we're going to make community kitchens 
cool on our end because you've been doing it for a long time. So I appreciate it. Appreciate the hustle. All right, dude. See you soon, man. All right. Have a good one. Cheers. He's a pro. It's a pro. This I'm I got I got goosebumps. The comments are all like, wow, this guy. It's no joke. He's a he's a legend for sure that has had all the accolades and been, you know, elbow to elbow with presidents, yet still just humble and said, I'm going to go to a community college and just feed people 50,000 meals at a community college in Santa Fe. It like, doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what resources you have. It doesn't matter where you've been. It's like what you're going to do now, what you're going to do next. And I think, man, I mean, the work that they're doing, it's making being humble and of service the next fine dining. Amazing episode. Thank you, Robert. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.